617, 617. Will Jesus find us watching? 617 as we get started this morning. When Jesus comes to reward his servants, whether it be noon or night, faithful to him will he find us watching with our lamps all trimmed and bright. Oh, can we say we are ready, brother, ready for the soul's bright home? Say, will he find you and me still watching, waiting, waiting when the Lord shall come? If at the dawn of the early morning he shall call us one by one, when to the Lord we restore our talents, will he answer thee well done? Come on, let's sing this out. Oh, can we say we are ready, brother, ready for the soul's bride home? Say, will he find you and me still watching, waiting, waiting when the Lord shall come? Have we been true to the trust he left us? Do we seek to do our best? If in our hearts there is naught condemns us, we shall have a glorious rest. Oh, can we say we are ready, brother, ready for the soul's bright home? Say, will he find you and me still watching, waiting, waiting when the Lord shall come? Blessed are those whom the Lord finds watching, in his glory they shall share. If he shall come at the dawn or midnight, will he find us watching there? Oh, can we say we are ready, ready for the soul's bright home? Say, will he find you and me still watching, waiting, waiting when the Lord shall come? Amen. And now turn to page 361. 361. He's the lily of the valley. Amen. 361. I have found a friend in Jesus, he's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The lily of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow he's my comfort, in trouble he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He all my griefs has taken and all my sorrows bore. In temptation, he's my strong and mighty tower. I have all for him forsaken and all my idols torn. From my heart and now he keeps me by his power. Though all the world forsake me and Satan tempt me sore, through Jesus I shall safely reach the goal. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here. While I live by faith and do his blessed will, 
now that you would be with us and that you would give us a service where we could worship you this morning. Help us to pay attention to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz. All right, now let's turn to page 666. My Jesus, I love thee. 666. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine, for thee all the follies of sin I resign, my gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou, if song 821 that's past the index 821 grace greater than our sin my 
marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin, sin and despair like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss, grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross, let's sing that, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. At this time we'll have the children 11 and under dismissed to the junior church. And let's sing that last verse. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Amen, and you can be seated. Amen. And just before the message this morning, I have a special. I just ask that you would listen closely to the words and allow them to prepare your hearts. A song, actually, Deborah Marshall, who is now Deborah Wells in Papua New Guinea, she wrote this song. It's called Count the Cost.
Let's take our Bibles and turn once again to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And this morning we're going to look at the second part of this passage. Last Sunday morning we spent our time here talking about the need and and why we should desire to have our faith increased. And in verse 5 here of Luke chapter 17, the apostles simply plead with the Lord, they said unto him, they said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And if I were to ask this morning, how many of us here this morning would want our faith to be increased? I would think most of us here would say, yes, that's me. I want more faith than I have right now. I want my faith to grow. And and, and we spent some time last week. If your faith is not growing then it's dying. Now, praise God, you cannot lose your salvation because you didn't earn it. Amen? Now, if you earned your salvation, then you could lose it. But since Jesus paid it all, then it's paid for. You know, that'd be like the bank after you make your last payment on your house showing up with a marshal and throwing you out and taking the house and you say, 
Well, what are you doing this? Well, you stopped making payments. But I paid the loan. Well, it doesn't matter. You need to keep making payments. That sounds like something Democrats would come up with. I'm sorry. But uh, uh, I'll tell you, when something's paid for, it's done. It's finished. You don't need to keep paying. Amen? And our salvation is something that God has given us. But our faith is a static substance. It is not just something you can put in a box. And, and by the way, God does not give interest on faith. You're supposed to use it, amen? If it's not being used, you're going to lose it. Uh, these guys that work out at the gym and get all those great big bulging muscles, if you don't keep it up, what happens? Uh, let's just say bad things, right? I mean, what once stood out just kind of goes boink. And uh, you, you've got to keep exercising or you, or you lose it. Faith. you got to keep using it. And Jesus gives a story here. And we're going to start in verse 7 here and read the story, a parable uh, that he has given us. It illustrates the truth. And you know, as one of the things I want to remind us as we look at this story, a parable has two prongs to it. If you really want to learn and you really want to get a hold of what the parable teaches, it will draw you closer to Christ and you will understand more about what you should do. If, on the other hand, you don't want to do what the Bible says, the parable will be offensive to you and, and will literally drive you farther away from Christ. That's the difference between parables and fables and all the other things that uh, men have invented. When Jesus told a parable, when he gave an illustration like this, it demanded action on the part of every hearer. No one was the same after they heard the story. They were either drawn closer to Christ or pushed farther away. And I want to tell you that God was not the one who made that decision what direction the individual moved. It was the heart of the individual that makes the decision which way they will allow themselves to be moved by God. God is not sitting in a corner going, oh, please, 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 please get saved. He's already done everything that needs to be done, amen? But God is not. In the other corner, throwing the cosmic dice, well, does this one go to heaven or hell? Ah, he missed it. I'll, I'll tell you, that's where the Calvinist goes. That's where he is forced to go. Somebody said, well, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? I'm a Baptist, amen. That means I'm a thorn in the flesh to both the Calvinist and the Arminian. Because God is not going to allow his word to be put into the box of man's theology. Amen? And so as we look here in chapter 17 of the book of Luke, here comes the story. It says, But which of you, now he's talking to the apostles here, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, that's the old English word by saying immediately, when he is come, from the field, go and sit down to meet. 
and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. I don't know about you, every time I read that story, there's just something in me that says, I don't want to be an unprofitable servant. If I've done everything that should be done, I shouldn't be unprofitable, right? Wrong. We've got to read the story, amen? If you want your faith to increase, here's what you have to do. You see, faith, true faith, Bible faith, never stops before the job is finished. Never, ever. It doesn't quit halfway. If you have the kind of faith that as you find yourself in a difficult situation and you keep pushing and pressing and finally you have to give in and say, I can't do it anymore. It's end. That is not Bible faith. That's what this story teaches us. It's the illustration of a servant. In those days, as in some places of the world still today, God had elected a, a plan, a way to deal with people who could not handle their finances properly and found themselves in a position where they could not pay their bills uh, by honest work and they were in trouble. What they would do is they would find a more well-to-do person and they would sell their services to that person for a period of seven years. That person would then be responsible for their housing, for their feeding, for their clothing for that period of time. And they would then take the salary that they would earn and that would be given to the person to whom the debt was owed. And at the end of that seven-year period, they had fulfilled their service, their debt was paid, and they could go out and resume a normal life again, hopefully. Now, stop and think about that. This was a commonplace practice. And honestly, it isn't much different than what you do when you sign a contract of employment, now is it? You say, I'm going to work for you. I'm going to give you so many hours. And usually there'll be a phrase in there depending on what you, or something understood, that if you're going to work overtime, you're going to get paid overtime, or if it's a salaried position, uh, it's understood what kind of hours that you're going to work for such and such a salary. You work out a negotiation, and, and you work for that person, right? Now, the only difference is you can walk into your boss 
the day after you sign the contract and say, I quit, I'm going to go find another job. Well, they couldn't do that. When you signed this contract, you were bound for the period there, this, the seven years. And it says if you had a person that had sold their services to you and they were out in the field plowing all day and working, when they come in from the field, the sun is going down, do you say, oh, you've been working hard all day. Take a break. Put up your feet. In fact, I'm the master of the house. I'll serve you tonight since you work so hard. Is that what goes on? No. It says, get cleaned up so you can serve me my dinner. And then after I've, and by the way, the word drunken in here is just past tense of the word drink. I think I need to mention that. It means you did drink something, past tense. It doesn't mean that you stood there and watched the master of the house get sopped every night. Uh, it had nothing to do with uh, the imbibing of alcoholic beverages, all right? Uh, when you have a glass of water, you did drink it, uh, or it was drunken is, is the proper English term. We don't use that term anymore because the word drunken usually in modern English means somebody has had too much alcohol and they're under the influence. Uh, feel like I need to do that on certain days because I've had people in the past come off. They got drunken in the Bible all the time. No, they didn't. Uh, uh, it's just the old English way of past tense of the word drink, all right? And so you served, you served the master of the house his dinner, and then when you were done serving, then you got to eat. Did the master of the house say thank you for all your wonderful service? No. That's why Jesus said, I trow not. Well, that word trow means, don't you look at me like that, you, you person. You think you would say thank you, but you know that you wouldn't say thank you because the servant just did his duty. He just did what was supposed to. You know, that's one of our problems today is... We're supposed to be rewarded for doing nothing or doing it halfway. Oftentimes I'll get a hold of one of my kids and they have a job to do. And I'll say, this didn't get done. But dad, you're so negative. I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this. I said, yeah, I noticed you did all those things and I, I'm very glad that you did all those things. But the only problem was you left this thing undone. And this thing needs to be fixed. Boy, it gets quiet in here, doesn't it? Because that's what we do too, isn't it? Don't I get an E for effort? No, you just get an F for failure. We don't like that, do we? But that's what this parable is talking about. If we want our faith to increase, I want you to know it's not going to happen by accident, number one. It's not just going to happen because you show up in church. It's not just going to happen because you read your Bible. If you want your faith to increase, number one, you've got to find out what needs to be done and you don't quit until it gets done. Let's, let's just get one illustration in here. Turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 in your Bible. 
This is one of the two places in the scripture where Jesus uses the adjective great concerning faith. And let's go back here in verse 5. It says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and saying, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. This centurion came to Jesus. And he said, my servant is grievously vexed. He, he's got a palsy. He's been paralyzed. He can't move. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He said, you don't need to come. All you need to do is speak the word. Because you're not, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Now, why was the centurion saying that? Because he was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. And he said, I am not worthy that a Jew, that someone of your stature should come into my home. He said, if you'll just say the word. He said, my servant will be healed. Now, what did this man do? This was a captain. He was over a hundred men in the Roman army. His band of soldiers were there camped in the land of Israel with orders from Caesar to keep the peace of the land. And here this captain was looking at a Jewish teacher and saying, I'm not worthy that you should come into my house. What was he doing? He was humbling himself in the presence of the Lord. And at the same time, he was lifting up the name and the testimony in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you remember the definition of the word worship? It is the lowering of myself that I may exalt Christ. That's why in the Old Testament, when people worshiped, they fell on their face. They put their face toward the ground. They got on their knees. Why? Because that is a position of humility. In the Orient, even today, there is still, uh, in, in many of the cultures of the of Far East, especially when you meet someone, you bow. Does anybody know where that came from? You see, in the ancient days when you met an enemy, you dueled to the death. 
And there is a belief in many of those ancient religions that if you had your head chopped off, you didn't get to go to heaven. That's why they executed people in that fashion. And when you bowed before someone, you were putting your head down and you were saying to that person, if you deem me your enemy, you have the right to kill me right here and now. It was a sign of friendship and submission one to another. When we look at God, are we willing to treat him with the respect and the honor and the dignity due his name? That's what the centurion did. He had a hundred soldiers at his beck and call. One of the best trained at this time military units in the history of mankind. A hundred Roman soldiers could defend an acre of ground against thousands of enemy soldiers attacking them. They would form a box and they would literally fight back to back and side to side and they could defend themselves outnumbered ten, a hundred to one. At different occasions they did do this. It was an unbelievable military unit. This man was their leader. And he is there saying, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Jesus said he had great faith. We don't want to humble ourselves today. It's one of the greatest inhibitors to faith that you have, that I have. We must understand that we're not giving God anything when we get saved. Amen? He's taking our problems. He's taking our sin. He is not enriched by having us as his servants. One angel can do a far better job than a thousand Christians. Then why does God put up with us? One little word. Love. He loves us. If we need if we want our faith to increase, this is where we start. Amen. That's something that happens in the heart. The centurion didn't quit until the job was done, now did he? But Jesus gave him an interesting statement there. Let's go down, just skip down if you're still in Matthew chapter 8 to verse 13. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Do you think that the centurion waited until he got home to believe that his servant was healed? No. Now, there is a story of the man who had the six sons. Do you remember that story? And he said, Jesus, you need to come to my house before my son dies. And he said, go thy way. Your son liveth. Read the rest of the story. It wasn't until he went home and inquired of his servants at what time his son 
began to get better did he actually believe that Jesus had done it. That's not faith. He didn't believe until he had seen and made sure that it was the exact right time that Jesus had spoken. Then he believed. That's sight. Faith doesn't need to see the end. Faith gets believes the job is done. Now, let's... That doesn't mean... Oh, God, I, I pray for a million dollars, and I believe when I get my next bank statement, it's going to be there. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Let me tell you, not going to happen, all right? Somebody once said, God, let me win the lottery. Not my God. That's got to be a different one. My God doesn't deal in dirty money, Amen. You say, dirty? Why is it dirty? Well, study the lottery. The lottery steals from the poor and destroys whoever it gives it to, right? That's what happens with the lottery. Read the history. Read the stories of the people who won it big. It's a story of sadness and destruction. Now, Let's get back to Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 17. Faith doesn't quit until the job is done. Faith does not count the work that God has set before us as drudgery. Does the servant get tired of plowing in the field? And then he comes home and he says, I've got more work to do. This is ridiculous. This is America, amen. Read the end of the passage here. It says, so likewise, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. We've only done the things that we're supposed to have done. Now, how many of you, don't raise your hands, but think about it. How many of you keep to-do lists? To-do lists are great things. If you remember to look at the to-do list after you've written it down. Amen? Uh, do you ever get any, everything done on your to-do list? Say, oh, yes, I get everything done on my to-do list every day. When come and see me, I'll give you a few more and we'll add it up there. No. Chances are, if you get everything done on your to-do list every day, uh, you need to sit down and evaluate what you're putting on your to-do list. Amen? But look at the attitude that is here. It says, when we've done everything, we're unprofitable servants. Faith does not count the work as drudgery that is set before it. Let's look in Matthew chapter 15 at a second example. The, the only other example I know of in the scripture where the word great in faith is used. Referring to an individual. This is the story of the woman we call the Syrophoenician woman. 
Now, how many of you know that story from the Bible? We've preached on it before. The, the woman had a daughter that was possessed with a demon. She was not a Jewish woman. She was a Phoenician. She was a Philistine. She was living in the land of Syria, which would be modern-day uh, Lebanon. She cried after the disciples, I need to see Jesus. And they finally came to him in verse 23 and, and, and said, uh, but he, well, let's start in verse 20, 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the coast, cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Now, do you get I, I read this statement. I mean, this is what Jesus did. He called her a dog. You say, how could Jesus do that? Well, Jesus actually had another purpose in mind. Jesus was trying to help you and I see how great faith really works. See, we would never see it if he had not rebuked her in such a fashion. See, faith doesn't quit halfway. At this point right here, most of us would say, he ignored me once, said he answered her not a word. Now he called me a dog. I'm leaving. I'm not going to put up with insult from this man. Wait a minute. What did she have to lose? By allowing Jesus to insult her? She had everything to lose, didn't she? She was wanting her daughter to be healed. Amen. If she'd gotten up and walked away, she would have never gotten the result of her faith. See, faith does not charge God foolishly. I got written down in my notes, faith does not charge God with unfair labor practices. We hear a lot of that today, don't we? Every once in a while, we'll be out passing out tracts on the street and somebody will say, child welfare, child labor laws. When they see our little children walking, it's happened several times. And uh, my children want to pass out tracts. I mean, little Philip, if he doesn't get to go, he cries on Saturday afternoon. I want to go on visitation. He doesn't, I can't pronounce it exactly what he pronounces, but we know what he's saying. He wants to go pass out tracks. Now, he doesn't get a lot of tracks passed out. He usually ends up being carried most of the way wherever he goes. But he wants to go, amen? I like his spirit. I, I hope he keeps it. Sometimes I wish I could get a little of it to rub off on me sometimes, Amen? Because we think, oh, here we go again. 
This lady, we don't have her name, allowed herself to be insulted for a reason. Look what she says in verse 26. Verse 27, I'm sorry. She said, truth, Lord. Sounds like she and maybe the centurion had had a conversation somewhere. They were both of the same heart, were they not? The centurion was saying, I'm not worthy that you should even come under my into my house. And she said, truth, Lord, I'm not a Jew, I'm just a dog. But the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. Can I just have a crumb, dear Lord? And look at his answer. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Again, we see this same scenario. We see the humbling and the lowering of herself in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that he may be lifted up. That's how we increase faith. And then he tells her, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. He's saying, listen, you tell me what you want and it's going to be done. See, there has to come this struggle with ourself to get past who we are and what we want to where we get to the point to where we start wanting the things that God wants and then God always gives those things. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 37, 4 when he said, Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You see, people take that verse completely out of context. They say, you you come to church and act like you're happy and God will give you a brand new Cadillac. Now, I'm sorry. There's only one word to describe that. It's called stupid. That's ignorance on purpose. Amen? Uh, that, that, you say, that's a vulgar word to use from the pulpit. Well, it's a vulgar way to treat God, to treat Him like a slot machine. Amen? And that's not faith. Faith, if we want our faith to increase, we've got to lower ourselves in the presence of God. We've got to understand that the things that He asks us to do are not drudgery. They are the most blessed things that we can invest our life in. How many people have invested their entire fortune in stocks, only to find out that somebody cooked the books at Enron. Somebody destroyed and lied about the financial wealth of, I can't remember what that big phone company was that went bankrupt a little while ago. Listen, we go through all of these things. We invest our time and our effort. Do you think Bill Gates takes vacations? Oh, yeah. But you know what he does on his vacation? He works. Because if you rest, you lose your money. Brother Davis told me about that 
pastry chef where he works, comes in early in the morning, works all day long till one or two the following morning, goes home, comes back, and all he does is make pastries at a restaurant. You say, I'll bet those are good pastries. He says they're the best he's ever had. Let me tell you, if they can put that kind of effort into making pastries, why can't we put effort into asking the Lord to increase our faith? Most of us would love to have a happy life and a happy marriage and good kids. Amen? The answer is faith. When we stop expecting things and we stop trying to manipulate others to do things for us, we get our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. We do not count the things that God asks us to do as a drudgery or, you know, boy, that's really not uh, 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 honest of God. I mean, He expects us to work and work and work and work and work and our whole life to be consumed by Him and about Jesus in the Bible. And then we're supposed to say we're unprofitable servants because we've only done that what the Bible says we're supposed to do. Yes, that's exactly what we're saying today. And you know what? That's offensive. Unless we have faith, then it's desirable. Because Jesus said these words, Come unto me, all ye that are la- that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke, they bolted those animals together. In fact, if you took two animals that were not trained to work in the yoke and you put them in one, they would pull against each other until one of the animals was dead. And woe be unto the man that tried to unbolt the yoke after the two animals started fighting in it. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because he's pulling the weight. Amen. We get to walk alongside. But if you're not bolted in, you're going to fall out. That's what salvation is. Amen. Don't charge God with unfair labor practices. He's promised heaven and eternal life. We have people that give everything they are to these meaningless and and passing goals to attain to some level of wealth or some level of notoriety. It says, Lord, increase our faith. Does the servant get thanked? Because he does his duty? No. Does your boss come in every day and say, thank you for doing your work? I doubt it. Maybe once in a while you'll get thanked for doing an exceptional job. 
But most of the time, you don't hear from upstairs unless you've done something wrong. Isn't that the way it works? This was a servant's position. Let me just give you one more point and then we're done. Faith is never satisfied with the present, nor is it enamored with the past. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Paul gives us a look, and I would say if anyone could teach us about faith, the Apostle Paul would be qualified to do so. Amen. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 11, it says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I might apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in any other thing ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. And here's the Apostle Paul. He says, Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of. Now you have to read that three or four times to get it. But Paul says, listen, I am reaching out trying to get a hold of that which already has a hold of me. He said, Jesus has me. My salvation is sure. But I'm not sitting on my blessed assurance hoping that something good is going to happen someday. He said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind and I'm reaching forth onto the things which are before. I am trying to reach out forward looking and trying to get more and to please God more so that when I get to heaven, I will enjoy serving Christ for all eternity. We say, but, but when, when will God be satisfied with me? The simple truth is he was satisfied with Jesus the moment you got saved. Amen. What he is trying to do with us is build within us the same attitude that is in every successful person in the United States of America today. But if you had the choice between being successful on Wall Street and being successful on the Golden Streets, which would you choose? I'd rather be successful in heaven, amen? If you had to choose between being rich down here and being rich in heaven, which would you choose? I'd rather be rich in heaven, my friend. It lasts a little longer than it does down here. Amen? See, it does get a little cheery toward the end, all right? But this attitude has got to be in our heart. This is what faith produces. If we are going to have our faith increased, we've got to understand that God is not asking too much of us, number one. 
that God is not expecting from us that which we cannot uh, do or which is impossible. But we've got to get past this thing. We run around sometimes like this all the time. You ever do that? Now, nobody else knows how good you are, but I do. I'm going to pat you on the back here. I know what kind of worker you are. I'll just encourage myself. I'm the best worker in this place. I do a good job. You know, the expectation of praise in this life for serving God is ludicrous. It's, it's beyond unreasonable. It is so far outlandish, and yet that's what we want all the time, isn't it? We want to be noticed. We want people to say, wow, you're doing such a good job. And listen, we need encouragement, but that encouragement is supposed to come directly from the Lord when we get to heaven, amen? There is the greatest danger in the Christian life is resting before the time to get rest. Hebrews 3 and 4. We've been through those on Thursday night. There is a struggle to enter into God's rest. And let me tell you when that rest comes. When God wants you to take a rest, that old ticker will just stop beating and you'll have rest for all eternity. Amen. That's when the rest comes. How many of you know the story of David in 2 Samuel chapter 11? It was the time when the kings went forth to battle. David stayed home for a little rest and ended up committing adultery with Bathsheba and using the army of the Ammonites to murder her husband, Uriah, and trying to cover up the whole mess. How many of you remember the prophet, the man of God that went to Jeroboam in 1 Kings chapter 13. Jeroboam was setting up the false worship and the prophet went and he prophesied against Jeroboam and God brought all the signs to pass that day. And there was an old prophet. You know where he found the man of God? Sitting under a tree. God told him he wasn't to eat bread or drink water. He was not to go back by the same way he came. He was supposed to go there, get the job done, and get back home. You know what he was doing? Boy, did I have a day today. I've never had anything like that happen in my entire life. Wow, that is good. I just need to stop and think about it a few moments. And that's when the old prophet caught a hold of him and lied to him. He never made it home. Read 1 Kings chapter 13. It says plainly, the old prophet lied unto him. But the old prophet, he was old. He'd have never caught that young prophet. He just kept moving. If we have to stop and evaluate everything, guess what we're not doing? We're not serving. We're thinking about it. I'm a little fearful. I've, I've known many preachers over the years. And one thing that has been a connecting link, I guess, 
between many of these preachers who no longer believe what they once said they believed. Well, you know, we need to take a little time and develop a philosophy of ministry. And every preacher I know that started talking about the philosophy of his ministry before too long was bringing a rock band in on Sunday mornings and jumping up and down for Jesus and doing all kinds of things that they had once preached strongly against. Why? Because if I wanted to draw a crowd, this is not the kind of sermon that does it. Amen? This is the one that sends you home saying, wow, I don't know if I'm coming back next Sunday. That kind of sermon expects me to do something. I don't like responsibility, but wait a minute, we're servants, amen? And unprofitable ones at that when we've done everything we're commanded to do. But I dare say not a one of us in this room has ever done all the things that were ever commanded of us. Myself included here. If we want our faith to increase. Now see, last Sunday when I talked about this, everybody was, yeah, yeah, that's me, Pastor. This Sunday it's, when is he ever going to finish this message? No. Listen, we're done. These expectations of rest and ease in this life are foolish. To think that we have finished the work that Jesus has set before us before we die is just as wrong as wrong can be. As long as you have life, God wants you to serve him. Amen? And that service is understanding that he is the master and I am the servant. I've often had run-ins with some of my children. As I begin explaining something I want done, and they'll go, well, Dad, couldn't we do it this way? I said, well, there's only one problem. You're not in charge of the project. I am. But, Dad, wouldn't it work better this way? I said, you know, we don't have enough time for me to sit down and explain to you why it wouldn't work better that way. Would you just please do what your dad said? Well, you don't have to get upset about it, Dad. But how many times do we do that to God? God, why does life have to be so tough sometimes? Why, why couldn't it be just a little easier? And God said, listen, I'm God. I know everything. Could you just trust me? Could you just do it my way for a change? See, faith doesn't question. It doesn't think that God's way is too much or the wrong way or it could even be improved in any degree. And faith doesn't stop until we get to the end. And faith doesn't sit here and look back and say, God, boy, we really did it then, didn't we? I, I had faith at that point. Because the moment we do that, we're not moving forward. And if we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards. Faith is so consumed with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ 
but nothing else matters. You say, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what people are doing to me. I know this. Paul said, I forget those things which are behind and I'm pressing on toward the mark. You have not endured what the Apostle Paul endured in his life. God has not asked many of us to endure the sufferings that went on in that man's life. If we'll just understand, we are unprofitable servants. It will humble our minds so that we can serve the next day. And that's what faith is. Doing today what God wants us to do today. That's where our faith increases. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would do your work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would look at this message and, Lord, I just feel like there's just so much more that needs to be said. So feel like just have failed so much in the communication of these great truths this day. But, Lord, we'll just ask that the Holy Spirit would be free to touch our hearts and our lives with this understanding, with this life view of that of a true servant, of a willing servant. We ask that you would direct us during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Have Brother Franz come and lead us. The hymn of invitation is 558. It just simply asks the question, Would you put your hand in the nail-scarred hand? Would you be willing to trust Jesus Christ with your soul today? Would you trust the Lord Jesus Christ with your life and the way that you live? As Brother Franz comes and leads us, if you need to come, now is the time. Your hand in the nail's hand. 
just let the piano continue to play. These have come to pray. If you need to come, let's not wait on the Lord this morning. Let's come and pray. Let's bring our burdens to Him. If you need to be saved, will you come and let someone show you from the Bible how you can know your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Just wanted to give one quick update. Um, last Sunday morning we had a short business meeting and uh, we adopted to uh, get uh, insurance depending on the findings of, of some other people and Frida and Yukari researched the thing and the plan that we voted on last week was the best that we could find and so we'll be doing that application process this week and then um, the other thing uh, much more importantly than that is uh, discipleship we've talked about having a discipleship class we have several people who would like to start and we're thinking about doing that Tuesday nights uh, that would be going through uh, the uh, discipleship that we have. We have about 12 lessons. It covers every major Bible doctrine. And if you're interested in doing that, we'd like to start that on uh, Tuesday nights, uh, either this Tuesday or a week from Tuesday. We'd like to get started even before Christmas if we could. And so if you would like to do that, I know I have a couple of names signed up already. And uh, just see me after service and we'll, we'll get this thing going. Uh, it'll be something you'll, there'll be homework to do, uh, there'll be things that uh, you'll need to, to do, and you'll need to make the commitment to be there because we'll be having a class, and so if you miss uh, a lesson, we can't stop everybody else just to catch you up, so we're going to have to uh, uh, keep moving, and, and we want to, to keep this thing going, and so... Uh, if you're willing to do that, uh, let's uh, 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 work on that. And if you'll see me after service, we've got a lot of things on the calendar. Please read your uh, bulletin there. Uh, how many of you at this time are planning on being here Saturday, December 9th for our Christmas banquet and, and the sing? Uh, raise your hands nice and high. We need to get a good count there. That's Saturday uh, evening. 
and uh, the same man that donated the meat for the Fourth uh, of July is talking about doing it again, only it'll be stuff that we'll cook in the oven. I don't think we want to plan on using the grills December 9th. I'm not sure how that would work, uh, but uh, it's going to be a good time. Brother Paulman from Mastic Beach is bringing some people from his church. Uh, Brother Saravi has got a couple of specials in Spanish working on. Brother Shaw's got two in Portuguese, uh, and uh, we're uh, working on having... Uh, some special music. Of course, Brother Clayton's going to be here, and uh, whenever he shows up, the preaching is absolutely uh, the best that you can get, and so we're just looking forward to that time. Uh, there's also a children's program December 16th, Ladies Bible Study December 12th, and uh, we'll be having uh, a members meeting for the Lord's Supper next Sunday night at 5.15. So uh, all of that in our regular also on the visitor table, there's some little index card-sized flyers. Uh, we'd like to just pass those things out between now and December 9th because it's just an invitation to come. Somebody said, uh, are, are you going to just invite anybody to the Christmas banquet? Yeah, they'll come and eat and get preached to. Now, if they're going to leave before the preaching, mm got to stay for the preaching, amen? And, and so uh, uh, take those. We printed up uh, somewhere around 2,000 of them. Not quite. Uh, it's a, that's right. Uh, probably about 1,500 actually turned out. And uh, so uh, take those with you and just take a little stack with you. Pass them out to friends. Pass them out on your way to work. And uh, we'll be looking forward to that. All right. Let's have our ushers come at this time. We'll receive this morning's offering. Let's give as unto the Lord. Brother Bing, would you ask God to bless the offering? Holy Father, once again, thank you for this uh, beautiful day and uh, giving and allowing us to worship you in spirit and in truth and to hear your uh, beautiful message through your servants. Servant, and um, yeah, ask you, God, to bless this uh, tithes and offering as well with our uh, with the congregation that um, we must stay faithful in uh, your service. Thank you for this, um, for your love and mercy to us in um, redeeming us from uh, um, uh, sin with your precious blood. All of this we thank and praise you in your precious name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
Brother Franz, come and lead us as we're dismissed. Seven hundred and five. You need the words. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. 